Well, for those of you have, that have been wondering, the wait is over. You may take your Bibles and turn back to the book of Romans. And uh, we're going to be diving back into our study uh, this morning. About a year and a half ago, um, October 6, 2017 to be exact, we began our study of this great epistle, which many consider to be the Apostle Paul's magnum opus, his greatest work. Uh, so far, if you're keeping track, I've preached 29 messages. We've made it to the middle of chapter 7. <clears throat> Excuse me, before taking a break for the Christmas season this past December. And uh, during uh, the first few months of the year, I've been preaching a series of messages on the topic of evangelism with the goal of reminding us as a church that we are all ambassadors for Christ. Um, we may not all be called to full-time vocational gospel ministry, if you will, like a pastor or a missionary, but all of us have the privilege of being ambassadors for Christ, and we as a church desire to excel, excel still more in sharing the gospel with those in our sphere of influence, which includes the people that we interact with on a regular basis, and even those we come into contact with maybe once in our lifetimes. And so that series has come to an end. Uh, two weeks ago, when I preached the last message uh, that I was planning to preach, but I want, to, uh, I want us to realize that just because we're returning to our study of the book of Romans doesn't mean we'll no longer be focused on the subject of evangelism or sharing the gospel with others. In fact, we should continue to be inspired and challenged in the area of evangelism and sharing the gospel since that is, in fact, the theme of this letter that Paul wrote to the believers in Rome. There is no better place to go in God's word, in my opinion, to follow up a series on evangelism than back to the book of Romans. And I want us to see how the series that we've been going through uh, ties perfectly into what we've been learning uh, in the book of Romans. Um, because no other book of the Bible really should fuel our passion to reach lost people with the gospel than Romans. Why? Because no other book in the Bible provides a clearer, more complete presentation of the gospel than Romans. I mean, this letter is all about the gospel. It literally begins and ends by making reference to the gospel. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Romans chapter 16, verse 25, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past but now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ be the glory forever. Amen. And so... The gospel is mentioned from the, from the very beginning, and it's the last thing that Paul had on his mind and heart as he penned the conclusion of this letter. Now, the word gospel, uh, again, is a, is a word that we're very familiar with, and it, and it even, we're, we're almost too familiar with it, in that it becomes kind of white noise. It's just kind of there. We talk about it all the time. We sing about it all the time. 
Uh, we discuss it all the time. We hear it preached all the time. But, but what does that word gospel actually mean? We need to be reminded of that. It's, it's the translation of the Greek word euangelion, where we get the word evangelism or evangelize. Euangelion literally means good news. That's the gospel. It's good news. And uh, I appreciated uh, recently listening to a new song by the popular uh, Christian uh, group called Mercy Me, and they describe the gospel as more than just good news. They call it the best news ever, which I like that. It's, uh, you know, we talk about the good news. Well, it's really, just, that's all, it's all you got. Good, no, this is the best news ever. And so we chose a title as we began, The Glorious Gospel, How a Gracious God Makes Guilty Sinners Right With Him Through Faith in Jesus. And that um, title is actually based on a verse not in Romans, um, but in another one of Paul's letters, which he mentioned the gospel. It's from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11, where he said uh, the things that he was teaching were according to, quote, the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Paul understood two things. Number one, that the gospel was glorious. And number two, God had entrusted it to him. And so God had entrusted Paul with the message of the gospel. And so he felt compelled to share the gospel with everyone he met. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, he said this, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. In other words, don't pat me on the back that I'm preaching the gospel. I, I can't boast in that. I can't be proud of that. I'm, I'm a man under compulsion. In fact, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward, but if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. So even if I do this joyfully and gladly, uh, or I do it against my will, even if I don't want to, it doesn't change the fact that I have a responsibility to share the gospel. And then he concluded by saying this, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Can you say that? Can we say that as a church, that we do all things for the sake of the gospel? Paul's life was consumed with the gospel and making the gospel known. Paul was a man in the grip of the gospel. And so wherever he went, whoever he was with, whatever his agenda, his priority remained the same to tell people about Jesus. Now, what is interesting to me about Romans is that Paul explained the gospel more clearly, more comprehensively than any other letter he ever wrote, and yet he wrote this letter to a group of who? Believers or unbelievers? Believers. He was writing to people who already knew Jesus. You say, what's up with that? You would think he would have saved this, this clear uh, complete, compelling message of the gospel for a group of unbelievers. Well, he was writing to the churches in Rome. 
And you may remember me saying at the beginning of our study that what many say is the most profound theological treatise ever penned, the book of Romans, was actually just a missionary support letter in disguise. Because when Paul wrote this letter, he was wrapping up his final missionary journey, the task of preaching the gospel and planting churches in Asia Minor and Macedonia and Achaia was complete. And now he had his sights set on taking the gospel further west, namely to Spain, and stopping off in Rome on the way. No doubt Paul saw the, the city of the Rome, the capital city of, of the Roman Empire. Uh, which, by the way, was the largest, most influential city in the world at the time, he saw that as the natural hub for taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Kind of much like Antioch served as the base of operation for ministry uh, into Asia Minor, uh, now Rome would be the new Antioch, if you will. Uh, Antioch was uh, back, if you're looking at a map, Antioch is over here. Here's Jerusalem, here's Antioch. Antioch got him over here into Asia Minor. Now he needs to get to Rome, which will take him even further west with the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so up to this point, he had been unable to visit Rome, never been there. And so he wanted to introduce himself to the believers there and provide them a summary of the message that he preached in hopes that they would partner with him in his future missionary endeavors through their prayers and their material resources. And so in order for them to partner with him in the gospel or in the spread of the gospel, Paul knew they needed to not only know him, but more importantly, they needed to know the gospel themselves and share his passion to see it spread to the ends of the earth. And so stirring up an evangelistic zeal among the believers in Rome was the main goal of this letter. Sound familiar? Isn't that what the whole point of that series was that we've just been going through? It was an attempt to stir up an evangelistic zeal among the believers here at Lakeside Bible Church. And that was Paul's main goal in writing the book of Romans, to stir up this evangelistic passion, enthusiasm, for making the gospel known. And this is clear from reading the first 16 verses, which serve as the introduction to this epistle. And because we've been out of the book of Romans uh, for several months now, I thought this would be a, an appropriate time to review. And so go back to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And I just want to reread with you verses 1 through 16, which really, again, are the introduction to the book of Romans. And as you know, uh, in any book um, or essay, uh, if you're a good writer, um, you will use that introduction space to uh, present the, the theme or the purpose for which you're writing. And um, of course, Paul was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so he had a little extra help, I would say, right? But look at Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, 
who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. And it's like, okay, Paul, time out. Let us catch our breath here. Slow down. (laughs) But when Paul mentioned that he had been set apart for the gospel of God, that expression, the gospel of God. We probably should have titled this God's glorious gospel. This is is God's story, God's good news of salvation. That he couldn't just mention that in passing and not develop that a little bit. And so that's what he's doing in verses 2 through 6. He's, he's, he's explaining the gospel in detail. And then he gets back to his greeting, his customary greeting. And normally Paul would have just said, Paul, the bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Verse 7, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. That was a typically how Paul would introduce a letter. It would be really kind of quick. Uh, transitions from uh, his introduction to his greeting, but he couldn't get past the gospel. He had to explain the gospel, and so he did that. But then we get to verse 7, and it's almost like he reverts to these casual um, secondary comments about his travel plans, uh, his intentions, that he, he always had wanted to come to Rome, but he He hadn't been able to make it there yet. So let's go on reading here. Verse 7, to all who are beloved of God in Rome. By the way, we just sang about that. Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. Straight out of Romans chapter 8. That is a beautiful description of a Christian. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer today in Jesus Christ, you could be described as one who is beloved by God. What a beautiful reminder for us that Paul gives us that we are beloved of God. It's not just, he wasn't just talking about the people in Rome, the Christians in Rome. He was talking about all Christians, including us. We are beloved by God, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. In other words, I've heard about you. I've heard about your commitment to Christ, your love for Christ, your service of Christ. For God, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. Just want you to know that I've been praying for you, and and I've been praying that God would allow me to come see you and meet you and fellowship with you. Verse 11, for I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. In other words, that we would encourage one another, we would um, stimulate one one another to love and good deeds, and that God might use me to further establish you in your walk with Christ. Verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware Brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have, prevented, have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. 
And so he introduces the, the idea of that he knew there was two groups of people in that church. There was believers from a Jewish background and there was believers from a pagan background. There was Jews and Gentiles in that church. Verse 14, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. There's that obligation that he felt given having been entrusted with the gospel by God. He had an obligation, a compulsion, didn't have a choice in the matter. So for my part, here it is, verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And then what is considered the theme verse, if there was one verse that you could hang the whole book on, it's verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it is the righteous of God is revealed through faith to faith, as written, the righteous man shall live by faith. And so this opening section of Romans begins with Paul giving the details of the gospel, explaining the gospel, but then he, he, he leads into the desires that he has for the gospel. And he expresses his desire to preach the gospel. And, and really, this section is, is just full of emotion, full of passion. And, and you may, may remember, recall that, that the word I used to describe Paul's attitude in this opening section is that he was gung-ho for the gospel. We use that word, gung-ho, in our culture to describe someone who's extremely excited or eager or enthusiastic about doing something. And he's really, he's gung-ho about that or this. What you may not know is that that word originated in Mandarin. It was an expression, um, really an abbreviated name for the Chinese Industrial Cooperatives, which was an organization established to promote grassroots industrial economic development in China back in the 1930s, 1940s. The literal translation of that Mandarin expression, gung-ho, is to work together or to work in harmony. And so when you combine the, the English meaning, the being eager and excited and enthusiastic, and the Chinese meaning of the working together and working in harmony, I think the word gung-ho is the perfect description of Paul's passion for the gospel and his purpose for writing Romans. Paul was extremely excited. He was extremely eager Enthusiastic about preaching the good news of, of salvation to everyone, everywhere. His life passion was to tell the world about Jesus, but he knew that he could not bring the gospel to the ends of the earth all by himself. He needed the help of other Christians and other churches to work together with him in this, in this massive endeavor. And so after spending 10 years or so, taking three missionary journeys all over Asia Minor and, and Greece, he had set his heart on taking the gospel to where it had not gone yet, to where no man had preached before, and that was Spain. And again, in his mind, Rome, the, the capital of the known world at the time, was the obvious, the obvious launch 
point for the gospel into Spain. And so he wrote this letter to the churches in Rome to introduce himself and the gospel he preached. Again, why? To enlist their involvement, their support in advancing the gospel to the uttermost part of the world. One commentator, I think, summarizes the purpose of this letter well with these words. He says, as if he was speaking as Paul, he says, here is who I, Paul, am, an apostle sent to the nations. Here is who you Roman believers are, Jews and Gentiles, who have embraced the gospel concerning Christ. And beyond us both lies the rest of the world for whom Christ died, a world desperately in need of the gospel. Rome can be a gateway for me, a launching pad, as I push further west with the gospel if we unite our hearts and abilities in partnership in the gospel. If you've been reading the book that we gave each of you as a gift and encourage you to read this month, uh, the book Evangelism by Max Stiles. And now, by the way, if you've not received your free copy of that book, um, we still have some, I think. And so please come and ask me or Marilyn for a copy of that book. We want to make sure that everyone in our church has a copy and has an opportunity to read through that, cop- uh, read through that book. But what this commentator said sounds very familiar if you've been reading that book. That, that, it's not, that that book is not, not about helping you as an individual learn how to share the gospel. It's about how a church can develop a culture of evangelism where we all work together as a team. Evangelism is a team sport, if you will. We unite our hearts and abilities in partnership in the gospel. In fact, I was remembering our study through the book of Philippians which was the book we studied before we went to Romans. And it was all about partnering together for the work of the gospel. Remember, the title was Together for the Gospel. Might sound like a a broken record here, but um, I think the Bible is clear, and and, and the Spirit of God has directed us to, to specific books in the Bible that emphasize this idea of the gospel being a, a, a work that we partner together with. And we all need to be involved. It's not just a few of us doing the work, but all of us are excited about it, passionate about it. And so all that to say, the result of teaching through the book of Romans or studying the book of Romans should not simply be that our heads are filled with a bunch of theology or theological truths, but our hearts are fueled to share the gospel with others. See, that's the danger of being in a Bible church like this, is we have our Bibles open and we, many of us have our note sheets out, our notebooks, our journals out, and, and we're really good at filling up notebooks full of theology and biblical principles that we're learning which is all well and good. And if you are taking notes, good for you. That's a, that's a great way to listen and to make sure you remember the things that, were, that you're hearing. And, and you can go back to them later and, and, and meditate on them and try to implement them in your life. So I'm not in any way disparaging anybody who takes notes. That's a good thing. It's a good habit. But I don't think that's what God would have for us um, 
as, our, as the result or the fruit of studying the book of Romans. That we all know the gospel better. I mean, if that's all we ever got out of the Romans, I think we would have missed the whole point of the book of Romans. Is, is, is this should motivate us to share it with others. And so this should not just, again, my prayer is that, that God would use our study through the, the book of Romans to, to create this gung-ho-ness for the gospel, for lack of a better term. And, and cause us not only to cherish the gospel more than ever because of how it's impacted our lives. You're like, wow, this is me. This is my life. This is who I am. This is what God has done in me. Wow, this is amazing that we would cherish the gospel but that we would also feel more, more compelled than ever to preach the gospel to the lost around us. You say, what does that look like practically? Well, that each of us individually would be eager to share, eager to preach the gospel, as Paul even says in chapter 1, verse 15, that we would share that passion. We would be eager to preach the gospel to our family members, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, the people we work out with, the people that we, you know, the restaurants we eat at and the stores we shop at, and, 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 and then corporately, that we would all be eager to support the work of the gospel. Not only eager to share the gospel, but eager to support the gospel through our prayers, through our financial gifts, whether it be our missionaries that we just prayed for, for example, uh, short-term missions trips, jumping in on those opportunities as the Lord provides Uh, supporting, sponsoring people to go uh, uh, on these trips, maybe even even investing in a seminary uh, uh, student, uh, somebody who's going off to be trained in the gospel ministry. And I know uh, there's some gentlemen here today that there was uh, uh, visiting back from uh, their ministries in other parts of the the country who went uh, to uh, uh, the master seminary. And some of you had a burden for their education. And so you invested in them personally and helped them uh, for, with their tuition and housing costs and other things while they were in seminary. That's a great example of what it looks like to be eager to support the work of the gospel. But the bottom line is, beloved, listen to this, okay? Nothing is more inconsistent than an evangelical church that's not evangelistic. You say, what is it? What do you, what do you mean? You're using words that are beyond my pay grade here. What's an evangelical church, right? An evangelical church, that's a, a word that's uh, used a lot in, in, in Christianity, evangelical. It, it means that you, basically, it means that you understand and embrace the biblical gospel. You're evangelical. In other words, you fit into the, into the category of evangelical. You, you have an orthodox uh, belief in what the Bible teaches about the gospel, how a person is saved. You're evangelical. You're within the bounds of orthodoxy. And so how ironic it is for a church to be evangelical, to understand and embrace the biblical gospel, but not care about sharing it with other people, not being evangelistic. And so... I would just say it this way, that our church, more than any church, should be evangelistic. Because by the grace of God, we understand the true gospel. And so we should be more excited than anybody to share it with others. 
The same commentator I read earlier said this, quote, it is to, to the shame of the church that there are not millions of Apostle Pauls roaming around the earth looking for one more person to tell about the gospel of the grace of God. He said Paul's attitude was, if I'm the only one who senses this indebtedness, that changes nothing. I am still indebted. In other words, Paul realized he was a debtor to Christ, a debtor to the gospel. And that's why he felt compelled. That's why he felt obligated to share the gospel. He said, as long as there is one person left on earth to whom the invitation to eternal life has not been issued, then I am not a free man. In other words, I am still under obligation. I will remain a bondservant of Christ until the last lost sheep has been brought into the fold. It didn't matter to Paul who you were, where you were. <laughs> he felt a burden, an obligation to tell you about Jesus. And as we've already seen in the first part of this letter, he had a particular burden for his fellow Jews. Look at Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. And we'll see this when we get there, just in a couple chapters. Chapters 9, 10, and 11 are an interesting part of the book of Romans. And uh, it's, it's sort of a parenthesis, if you will, to um, help the Jews who were reading this letter, hearing this letter read in the churches in Rome, wondering, okay, if this is all true, that we don't have any special um, place compared to Gentiles, that now Jews and Gentiles are, are together, then does that mean we have no special place in God's, God's will, God's plan, God's future? And so he takes some time to focus in on the place of Israel as it relates to the church. And so in some ways, it's a, maybe the most theological section of the, the book, chapters 9, 10, and 11. However, notice how Paul begins this section that's heavily theological. In his mind, this was not a theological discussion. This was very personal to him. Notice verse nine, chapter 9, verse 1. I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I mean, this is a radical statement that Paul's making. I wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ. I wish that I were unsaved, that I would spend eternity in hell if in some way my brethren, my fellow Jews could know Christ. I was thinking about this verse, verse 3, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brother. 
for the sake of my sister, for the sake of my mom or my dad, for the sake of my neighbor, for the sake of my coworker, my classmate. Is that your heart? Have you ever thought through your passion, your zeal, your compassion for lost people to that degree? Paul is just providing an example for us of what it looks like to have a, have a love for the lost. And I think we should pray that we could get to the point where we could say the same thing for the sake of my, you fill in the blank, whoever it is that you have a, a burden for. Again, you can't get away from this gospel emphasis, this burden to share the gospel with lost people. It's everywhere, uh, not only in the, the, the words that Paul wrote, but in the example that he set in how he wrote them and how he lived his life. So again, we're just reviewing here and reminding ourselves that Paul's aim in writing Romans was that the churches in Rome would begin to share his zeal for the gospel, his love for the lost, and become enthusiastic evangelists like he was. How about you? Are you eager to share the gospel with others? Are you, or are you hesitant? Are you reluctant? Are you, maybe worse, indifferent? Are you enthusiastic about evangelism or are you apathetic about whether or not people hear the good news of salvation? Are you getting the feeling that our series on evangelism has only just begun? <laughs> it really has. Now we're getting to the good stuff. And I can't think of anything more compelling when it comes to evangelism than the book of Romans. And I think it's, the book of Romans is a lot like the book, again, that we gave you to read by Max Stiles. Again, the author's goal is to help churches like ours to create or cultivate a culture of evangelism among their members. That's what this, the book of Romans is all about, creating a culture of evangelism in the churches in Rome. And I mentioned a couple weeks ago that the book ends, the book of Angelism by Max Stiles, with an appendix in which he provides a, a simple gospel outline and provides a list of Bible verses to back up each point in that outline, which I think is a brilliant way to end a book on evangelism, is, oh, by the way, what is it that, you know, we're encouraging you to go out and share the gospel? Well, what is it? What is the gospel? What, what should you share? What do unbelievers need to hear? What do they need to know so they can be saved? And I mentioned a couple weeks ago that, that one of the simplest and most practical things you can do to excel still more in the year of evangelism is to memorize, to commit to memory a concise gospel presentation that you can call up out of your mind, out of your heart, whenever God answers that prayer that you're praying every morning, right? You're praying every morning, Lord, give me an opportunity to share the gospel today. 
I see, I had three opportunities this week. It was a good week. And, and people were just, they were actually coming to my door. I didn't have to go to them. Some guy knocks on my door. Dogs go ballistic. I, I said, who's that? So I go outside and it's a guy looking, he's a lawn care guy and he's wanting to, you know, drum up some business. And so I thought to myself, well, I don't need a lawn care guy, but he probably needs Jesus. So let's capitalize on this opportunity. He came to me. God brought him to me. And so we started talking and thankfully he had a few minutes to talk and got to ask him about his life and who, where he came from and just, just built a relationship with the guy. And then started asking him about what he believed. And, uh, you know, when you start asking questions, people start usually telling you their background. And you can figure out a lot when they say, well, I used to go to this kind of church, or I grew up this religion, or I, right? And you can kind of begin to form your thoughts about, okay, where do I need to go in my conversation with this person? Our television went out. So we had to uh, call the, the consolidated guy. And, well, guess what? You've got a captive audience sitting there in your living room while he's trying to fix your TV, and what are you going to talk about? Why not talk about Jesus? And uh, it's a great opportunity. And um, I'm trying to remember the third one. It's blanking. I'm blanking on the third one. But um, the point is, pray. When we pray, I guarantee you guys, if, you're, if you pray that prayer, God, every morning, would you give me an opportunity to share with someone Share the gospel with someone today. I, I, I promise you God's going to answer that prayer. You don't think that's a prayer that God doesn't want to answer? And so you pray that, and the, and the opportunities just come. And so when they come, the question is, are you ready? Are you ready? And so, again, one of the, the best ways to be ready is to have a gospel outline memorized that you can kind of recall and kind of go through, work your way through, um, kind of off the cuff, if you will, um, sharing with someone. Now, my question, how many of you, and this is going to put you on the spot, okay, how many of you have a basic presentation of the gospel filed away in your mind, in your heart, ready to call up and share with someone? How many of you got a gospel presentation filed away in your mind that you kind of know I'm going to walk, right? We're talking like God, man, Jesus, you, that would, that would qualify, and if you don't, you're not familiar with that gospel presentation, you go on our website, click on about, and go down to where it says the gospel, and you'll see God, man, Jesus, you explained very simple points, just a couple verses and a few brief explanations. That would be something that you could memorize. It's also in our welcome booklet that we hand out to all of our uh, new visitors. If you want to grab a copy of that, it's in that. You could just kind of begin memorizing uh, that God, man, Jesus, you. But another easy way to share the gospel, before I ever came across the God, man, Jesus, you outline, which is what I typically use, um, the first thing I was exposed to was the Romans road. In other words, I don't know if you ever thought about this, that Romans seems daunting as this theological treatise about justification by faith alone. Well, you, it's a gospel track. It really is. It's a, it's a simple gospel track. It's as simple as it comes as, as, a, as a simple little track that you can take an unbeliever through. You can kind of walk them through a series of verses to share God's plan of salvation. I'm sure most of you are familiar with the Romans Road. 
Um, it, it has a number of different forms. Uh, you can look it up online and you can see there's different people kind of lay it out differently. But um, I've used this little helpful method many times to explain the gospel to someone. I've just taken out my Bible and, and, uh, and, and walked them through these verses or in fact have these, have these verses memorized so I can just kind of walk them through if I don't have a Bible. Or I can just quote scripture and the guy doesn't even know or the gal doesn't even know I'm quoting the scripture. Sometimes when you take the Bible out, conversation's over, they're shutting down, right? Well, you can, if you have these verses memorized, you can quote them and it still has the same power as if you read them because it's the word of God. So if you remember, some of you might have your handout tucked away in, in the front of your Bible or in the front of Romans, this little half sheet. And it's what I gave you guys at the beginning of our study, uh, a roadmap to Romans. Remember that? It's like the outline of Romans. And on the other side is what? The Romans road. Again, even in the beginning, as we launched into the study, there was a method to my madness there that, hey, I don't want you just to know the outline of Romans. So we can walk away and go, I'm so smart. I know the outline of Romans. No, that's, that's where it begins, but... Let's translate it into action. Let's take this gospel that we're learning about and share it with other people. And so that's the Romans road. And so what is that? And I want to just take the last few minutes of our time together just to walk you through the Romans road. I just kind of threw that out at you at the beginning. I don't think I ever actually walked you through it, but I want you to see how this works. And so if you have an opportunity... Someone comes a knocking at your door, or you're sitting there next to somebody on a plane, or you have a few minutes in the break room at work or between classes at school. What are you going to share with that unbelieving friend or coworker or, or a person you just struck up a conversation with on a, on a plane? What are you going to share with them? Well, you could simply say something like, hey, do you have a, would you mind if I, I just took a moment to, to show you what the Bible says about how you can know for sure that you're going to go to heaven when you die? Typically, people will not, not say no. They'll say, yeah, that's fine. Especially if they're sitting there. They have a few minutes to kill. And so what do you do? You open up your Bible, or you, again, you recall to mind, if you have this memorized, the Romans road. And so you can begin with Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you want to help them understand that they're a sinner who has failed to honor God with their life. And if you want a, some color commentary on that and expand that thought a little bit for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, in other words, we have not glorified God the way we should. Just have to go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the uncorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over and the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Why? For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That's what it means 
that we have fallen short of the glory of God. That explains it. That's the color commentary. And so you begin with Romans 3.23, and if you want to go back and read into uh, that, some of what's in first Corinthians, or chapter 1, verse 18, you can do that. Secondly, the second verse you go to from Romans 3.23, you go to Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice the connection. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. So you need to help people understand that we deserve to be punished for our sin by dying and going to hell. That's what it means. For the way to sin is death. Not just you get old and die, but that word death is separation. It means you're separated from God forever in a place called hell. Now, that's when the conversation might get a little tense because that's the bad news, right? But then you can quickly... Turn to Romans 5.8, where you can get to the good news. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Again, see the connection? We, we, we've, we've, we've all fallen short. We, we, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. The way to sin is death. But God loved us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died died for us. It's, it just beautifully, Paul just beautifully weaved the gospel through this letter. And so we need to help them understand that God loves them, sent his son Jesus to die for them to take away their sin. But then there's an action, I guess, that needs to be, um, a transaction that needs to be made. It's not like everybody's saved because Jesus died on the cross. No, they need to make it personal. So you go to Romans 10.9. Romans 10.9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you need to place your faith in Christ alone and what he did for you on the cross. That he died and he rose again from the dead. And you place your faith in that. You say, well, okay, how do I do that? Well, just a few verses later in verse 13, Romans 10, 13, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. God promises to save you if you cry out to him in prayer. How do you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart? You pray, you tell God, you agree with God about who Jesus is. I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that I deserve to die and go to hell. I believe that you love me enough to send your son Jesus to die on the cross and he rose again from the dead. And I believe that what he did on the cross is the only way I can be made right with, with you, God. There's nothing I can do to make myself right with you. So you just cry out to him. Call on him. And then you can being encouraging them with the gospel. You can take them to Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, now that you're saved, now that you've cried out to him and, and, and sought salvation in Christ alone, you are now back in a right relationship with God, that you're at peace with God. You're no longer at war with God. You're no longer an enemy of God. And not only that, you are completely forgiven for every sin 
You ever have committed every sin you will commit, Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I think we would be remiss if we didn't take them to Romans 12.1, which is the climax, the culmination of all these verses about the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, based on God not giving you what you deserve, but granting you grace instead, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. In other words, in light of all of what I've just told you and all of that you have just done, you should now live a life of total surrender to God. That's what it means to be a Christian, to live sold out to Christ, to live a holy faithful, sacrificial life of service to God. Just a few simple verses, a few simple comments, and uh, you can walk somebody through the plan of salvation in a minute or five minutes or an hour if you have that amount of time. And so if you don't have a gospel outline or presentation memorized yet, I would commend to you the Romans wrote. And that every time we come back to this book and open it up, that we wouldn't necessarily see it as this great gospel treatise as much as we'd see it as a gospel tract. This would just remind us of the gospel that we should cherish because of how it's impacted and transformed our lives. And get us excited about getting to share this with other people so that their lives can be changed like ours. Someone said it this way, there's no greater honor than to be used of the Lord to carry his gospel to an unbeliever and watch him work in and through the message. As we are able, let us take part in the incredible privilege of making sure that the gospel is proclaimed The highest calling that any of us will ever have is to be a witness to the gospel. Let us thank God for this high calling and ask him to give us the courage to proclaim the gospel where he has put us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to kind of wade back into our study of the book of Romans. I just thank you for how perfectly it fits with what we've been talking about Uh, regarding the subject of evangelism. And so, Lord, I pray that as we come um, every week and and, uh, reopen the book of Romans, that we would see it with fresh eyes, with a fresh heart. Lord, this would not just be an opportunity for our heads to be filled with a, a bunch of theology, but that our hearts would be fueled with a passion to share the gospel uh, with lost people. And so, Lord, may we cherish the gospel more than ever. And may we feel more compelled than ever, Lord, to share and proclaim it with others, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.